Open up to uh, the center of your copy of God's Word, or in the Pew Bible, you can find the text today on page 495. We're looking at the entirety of Psalm uh, 89. We call the season, Christians refer to the season uh, as Advent, and Advent is a word that, uh, amongst other things, conveys the uh, the notion of coming, uh, it's the time that we uh, celebrate, that we recall the incarnation, the God-man, Jesus taking on flesh. But it's even bigger than that. It's not just him coming into the world, but him coming into hearts through the power of God's spirit. Uh, it is the, the advent that we celebrate, the second advent where he comes again into the world, which is our great and final hope that resurrected King Jesus will come back. It marks, advent marks a promise and it marks uh, a, a person. Uh, this uh, past couple of weeks, I've had two, two occasions where a friend picked up the phone or we're, we're, we're on the phone talking. And uh, they said, Troy, it is good to hear your voice. And, uh, and I immediately wanted to do that with other people that I talked to on the phone because it is really rather comforting. It's easy to talk to people on the phone nowadays, even if they live in a different continent, for basically next to nothing. Uh, but we still choose to text. I don't quite get that. But uh, I'm, a, I'm a talker. I'm not a texter. No, none of you are surprised by that. Uh, but it is good to hear your, your voice sometimes is, is, is a connecting point. And I, I would love for us to be able to, this morning, if, even if we're not at that place right now, to say of God, it has been good to hear your voice because he speaks to us. He conveys himself to us. And and not just that we would have information and not just that we could uh, be uh, guided and comforted, but that we would actually commune in relationship with the living God through his word and through his spirit this very day. Because I don't know where you're at. We've talked about uh, already in this season as we've reflected on a few different psalms about different emotions like this time of year, grief for many people, Uh, joy, maybe maybe you're... in despair, maybe you're in delight, maybe you're apathetic, maybe you're anxious, maybe you're cynical. I don't know where you're at this morning, but hopefully we can say, ultimately, we're confident that because of God's word and hearing his voice, we know that our best days are in front of us. And I don't mean they're definitely not behind us. And I don't mean in front of us, just around the corner. Uh, corner. They are above us. They are, they are beyond the horizon in the presence of God in glory. And we are living right now in that in-between. And we would love to be able to say, it's good, God, to hear your voice. Now, I don't know if your notions of God today. Maybe you think that he is angry. Uh, maybe you are troubled because you feel like he's uninterested in your life. Uh, maybe you, you are doubting his promises. Maybe you feel that God uh, in some way is even angry with you. Uh, I don't know, but I will tell you, you're not alone. Uh, and God, even here, uh, inspiring uh, other people who can identify, gives voice, gives a, a voice to aid and to comfort our hearts and, and our minds concerning uh, troubling things. Uh, Psalm 89, we're going to stand again. This is rather long, so bear with me. I invite you to stand in the deference to God's word. You see here at the start, this is a mascal of Ethan, the Ezraite. Hear this, this is God's word I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. And with my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever. 
In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can compare to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? A God greatly to be feared in the council of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around him. O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are. O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you. You rule the raging of the seas. When its waves rise, you still them. You crushed Rahab like a carcass. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours. The earth is also yours. The world and all that is in it, you have founded them. The north and the south, you've created them. Tabor and Hermon, joyous, joyously praise your name. Those are two uh, mountain ranges. You have a mighty arm, strong in your hand, high in your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are the people who know the festal shout, who walk, O Lord, in the sight of your face, who exult in your name all the day and in all your righteousness are exalted. For you are the glory of their strength. By your favor, our horn is established, our strength, in other words. For our shield belongs to the Lord, our king, to the Holy One of Israel. Of old you spoke in a vision to your godly one and said, I have granted help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David, my servant, with my... With my holy oil, I have anointed him so that my hand shall be established with him. My arm also shall strengthen him. The enemies shall not overwit him, outwit him. The enemies, the wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him. And in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever. And my covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever and his throne as the days of the heavens. If his children forsake my law and do not walk according to my rules, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, well, then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. But I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Once for all, I've sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever. His throne as long as the sun shall uh, shun before me. Like the moon, it shall be established forever. A faithfulness witness, a faithful witness in the skies. Now there's a pivot, so just brace yourself. But now, but now you have cast off and rejected. You're full of wrath against your anointed. You've renounced the covenant with your servant. You've defiled his crown in the dust. You've breached all his walls. You've laid his strongholds in ruins. All who pass by plunder him. He has become the scorn of his neighbors. You've exalted the right hand of his foes and have made all his enemies rejoice. You have turned back the edge of his sword and you have not made him stand in battle. You have made his splendor to cease and has cast his throne to the ground. You've cut short the days of his youth. You've covered him with shame. How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? 
How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is. For what vanity you've created all the children of men. What man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? Lord, where is your steadfast love of old? By which... Which by your faithfulness you swore to David. Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked. How I bear the heart of insults in many nations. With which your enemies mock, O Lord. With which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Father, would you please guide us right now? Uh, You would give us, we pray, clarity. That you would shine brighter than... Maybe some of our distractions or sorrows or temptations. Would you help us to see uh, both the, the beauty of how you work and the mystery of how you work? And, and we, we only have hope of that because we pray with great hope and confidence through Christ. Amen. Uh, one year we purchased for Christmas uh, a gift for our kids. It was one of these uh, marble mazes that's in a clear ball. Has anyone you've seen these? Yes, uh, and it's it's a ball that there's it's, it's essentially like a 3D maze and this this little marble esque thing you, you work through and and I can never do it and uh, and my kids of course they master it by the end of Christmas Day and just like all the years that I watched my brother whether it was a Rubik's cube or a Rubik's triangle or even that silly horseshoe thing you know that you have a ring around and you just Twists it and it comes right off, and I, I just, I don't get it, you know, and, and you know, you know, they, you, you sit there and watch. Them. Interestingly enough, aptly, it's named the Perplexus Ball. Uh, of course, it is that for, for many of us. And I sit there and I, and I watch them, and I want to, I want to learn. And I say, well, how, how did you do that? Or how do I do this? And they say, well, just give it to me. I'll show you. And, uh, and I say, I want to say to my kids, I don't need you to show off. I need you to show me. Uh, you know, there's a, there's got to be a there's got to be some kind of, of, of technique or strategy or steps or something, and I, I almost wonder sometimes when we approach uh, you know the wisdom of what we encounter here with with Ethan if if he would just help us and we we, we want to say I'm I'm kind of stuck and I, I I I'm just grateful that there's a guide here that describes some of the ins and outs. You're like how do I I'm over here and I don't know how to navigate. I'm I'm caught. I you know I, I don't know what the I don't even know what the next thing to do. And I think we have here another a blueprint, so to speak, another map to to see and to appreciate. Ethan, the Ezraite, as it's mentioned at the very uh, the opening heading, we don't know a whole lot about him. We do know in Second Kings chapter four that his uh, wisdom was. Uh, uh, so high that it was comparable to uh, to King Solomon and all of his wisdom, and uh, and really that's the extent of what we know. Uh, the the phrase here is excuse me, it's First Kings chapter four that he's described as wise. It is a maskil. Uh, a maskil is uh, some would describe as a song of instruction, and uh, and that is kind of what we encounter here. And, uh, and it's no surprise that, uh, as far as I can tell, there's, uh, there's three movements. Uh, surprise. Uh, through, as we work our way through this, and I've got them listed there in the order of service, and I want to just touch upon them uh, ever so uh, quickly if I can. The first is praising, the next is complaining, and then closing it out, there's questioning. And you see the verses there. The first 37 verses are very distinct and praising. And then we hit that, that point in verse 38 where it was like, the, 
you know, the, the brakes came on and some, someone took a turn. And uh, if you were paying attention, the whole tone so shifted that it's it's really abrupt. I'll get to that. The second heading. Let's look here at the first 37. It's actually quite similar. The whole psalm is really similar to what we covered uh, a few weeks back in Psalm 13. Uh, psalm 13 also has the, the language of lament, of, of confusion, sorrow. But it's in reverse mode because so often as David would approach it, not always, but what we would see with David is he would begin in a place of sighing, I said a couple weeks ago, and then he would end in a place of singing. Uh, here, it's really the inverse. It begins with singing and praising, and then it ends with sighing and, uh, and questioning. Ethan here is rehearsing the character of God and the covenant of the Lord God. The, the, the character of God, I mean, just one highlight. I could point to many things, but there's too much to cover. Verse 6, who in the skies can compare with you? You are an incomparable God, altogether unlike Set apart. And you are a God, amongst other things here, we see clearly in verse 1 and 2, it's reiterated, a God of steadfast love. That God is is loving, but that's not a sentiment. There's action uh, attached and tied to it because he is also a God who acts in time and in space. You see that in verse 13. It says uh, it refers to God's arm or God's uh, hand. God doesn't have an arm. God doesn't. God is a spirit. He does not have a body like mine. The children's catechism says, and that's right because uh, you know God doesn't. God's a spirit. He's not. He's not. Doesn't have a body. Christ has a body. God here in the psalmist language is helping us just see His control. It's 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 the, the language there is is trying for our human mind to understand how God is exercising with might. He does take action. Because you see in verse uh, 9 and 10, you crushed Rahab, which is another uh, word for, for the Egyptians. And it says in verse 9 that what does he do to the, what does he do to the, uh, the Egyptians? Uh, will you rule the raging sea? And when its waves rise, you still them. So he's in control of whether it's the Red Sea or wh- whatever goes on. He can, he can wipe out enemies. He can deal with uh, anything in nature. He is a God who uh, is, is active. The love here that that is referenced, the steadfast love, is and it's coupling. You you probably saw the the word multiple times over your faithfulness or your truthfulness. It's saying I'm true to uh, to myself, to my 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 promise. When God entered into a relationship with His people Israel, that is going back to Abraham, uh, as we heard echoed in in Romans, the New Testament reading, chapter four. There's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God set his love on them because they were so lovely. No, he, no, he didn't. I mean, I've set my love on people. They, they're lovely. And, and you guys are lovely. Uh, God set his love on Israel uniquely. We, 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 we find it, uh, you know, that he sets a special relationship with them. In covenant, we call it. And that covenant relationship, the, the phrase there. In uh, the original language for steadfast love is a Hebrew word, hesed, and, uh, and it's, it's, it's so thick, we, we really have a hard time, uh, the, the multi-layers of it har- have a hard time translating what that means. Some scholars say it's, it is a merciful kindness or a loving kindness. Some, uh, some scholars describe it as, I like this phrase, a loyal love. 
that he has a truthfulness to his word and his covenant that he makes with his people. And then there's a shift here partway through where uh, Ethan, inspired of God, takes on prophetically the voice of God. I don't know if you caught that because he's, he's speaking as though God's voice. Let me give you an example. Verse 24. My faithfulness, God speaking here, and my steadfast love, again, there's that phrase, has said, shall be with him. And in my name shall his horn, his strength be exalted. Who's him? It's the anointed. It's, it's the, the king, the Davidic line that is to be established. David and his royal line, his house or his throne, which should continue on. The, the, by the way, I don't know if you caught it in verse 14. Can you imagine a government like this? Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. And it, and it goes on. This is how God works in and through him. That, that's, that's better than any constitution or midterm election could ever accomplish. Uh, we, we, we see here a, a, a governing king with, with God uh, at his side. It will continue on that covenant. Uh, excuse me, that 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 kingdom will continue on and on and on. Now, second Samuel, we, you know, we just closed out the study of first Samuel. David was anointed. But then God reiterates his covenant uniquely with David and his descendants, the people of God, again, in second Samuel, chapter seven. And this is when he says to him in verse 12 of second Samuel seven, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, David, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And then he goes on to say, but my steadfast love will not, even if the children are disobedient, my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took from Saul, whom I put away from before you and your house and your kingdom, your throne shall be established forever. Now, the only way that this could be fulfilled is if there was a a king in that line who indeed lived forever. And that's where we see the resurrected king Jesus, the Messiah. Why do we celebrate? You hear all the verbiage of it. Jesus, son of David, rod of Jesse, and the the holy city of David and Bethlehem, born to us. We'll sing the songs. We'll rehearse, you know, these familiar carols and lessons. And it's pointing us to David. Why? Because Jesus is the king. The fulfillment of the great hope of a kingdom that's unlike anything in the world and a king who's unlike anyone, even David with many of his great qualities, Jesus is the one who is in view, even at this early stage. But sometimes, okay, maybe more times than we would like to uh, acknowledge that we're perplexed, we, we, we're troubled, we don't understand the love of God we, we, we see that he's trying to work in history, but we then sometimes pause and say, what are you doing? I, I, I can't compute. I don't, it doesn't coincide with what I know of you or what I desire uh, you know, as your, your child. I don't understand. Charles Spurgeon, a uh, British preacher of old, was one day walking along a path in an English countryside with one of his friends. And, uh, and as they strolled along, uh, they saw a barn and there was a weather vane 
on top of the barn. And imprinted on this weather vane was the phrase, God is love. And Spurgeon uh, poked his friend and he pointed up to the weather vane. He says, that's totally inappropriate because weather vanes are changing all the time and God's love is not changing. And his friend says, well, I, I, I don't agree with you. I, I actually think you misunderstand the meaning. That sign is indicating a truth that regardless of which way the wind blows, God is love. And I like that imagery because the, the, the covenant love of God, the steadfast love of God, is, is so unique amongst other things and that it's not conditioned. And it, doesn't, it, it means that prior to God loving you, it wasn't as if you had produced something wonderful. And now that you know God's love, or now that he's given you that because of your merit and your goodness, that he will give you good things. And if he's not giving you good things, then he's not good to his covenant and you weren't good in the first place. And you see the noise, right? And what we need to understand, what, what, the, what the Bible conveys very clearly time and again, is that God's love is not conditioned upon our feelings or our intentions or our, our good deeds. His loving kindness doesn't change. It, it is, and it's not based on whether we seem to or imagine or or feel ourselves to be lovely or lovable. Sometimes it's when we entirely know ourselves to be unlovable that his love reaches in. And we, we, we see this as articulated clearly. Romans 5.8. That God demonstrates his love towards us in this. That while we were yet, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So that in Christ, he sees and loves us with a new record. His love imparted and his righteousness imparted to us. What glorious great news. You need to know it. We need to be reminded of it. That's what we do in rehearsing it every week. That's reason for praise. But he doesn't stop, right? Remember, he shifts. Okay, so let's move on to this this complaint. It's really rather abrupt in verse 38. Um, And I want to highlight it. I just I want to appreciate the fact that this is such an honest moment. I don't watch a whole lot of television when I do, it's always reality TV. Of course, it's so edited. How, how, how real is it, right? I mean, I was thinking about this the other day. House Hunters is a show that I really, I really like. Uh, my, I, I appreciate homes and, and real estate. My, my brother's a realtor. You know, we, we, you know, I can just envision House Hunters, right? You go out and they have their list. What do they want? Uh, which, you, you know, unless you got a ton of money, you can't get a whole lot right now. Uh, but just imagine on House Hunters, you know, a few years back, they have their long list, their wish list. And uh, they said, this is this is on my must list. What is it? What, what do they always want? What's on the must list? Kitchen. Well, yeah, not not just a kitchen, but, you know, what's the floor plan? Open, Open concept. Right. I want I want plenty of storage. It's all, it, this is a, this is a non-negotiable. I want plenty of storage and I want an open concept. Right. <laughs> Hello. This is for crying out loud like Wheel of Fortune. What would you like? It's the final round. Well, I'll take a R-S-T-L-N and an E for a vowel. We all know that. We all know that that's what you want. Open concept and lots of storage. Isn't that great? What if we had an honest moment if someone were to come in and say, because they say, oh, we got to have a big patio, too, because we love to we love to we, we love to entertain. What if someone were to have an honest moment? They just said, you know what? 
We want multiple enclosed rooms. We hate people. We don't entertain. I just need a laundry room that has a lock so I can go in and eat Cheetos alone and cry in it. Think of that. I mean, that would get that that would get edited out. No, no, there are plenty of people that they feel like their home is that kind of place. They would like a place like that. No one would ever share that on reality TV. I'm so glad that the Bible doesn't edit how people really feel. And this is this is case and point number one. This is he is saying, I don't know what on earth has happened. God, I do believe that you are altogether incomparable. But right now I'm beginning to wonder if you're changeable. He goes on and on and on rehearsing the fact that David is the standing king, that God is faithful in his steadfast love. But it just seems like he's abandoned his anointed one because what? Well, let's go back to the text. This is the brutal honesty. Verse 38 again. But you've now cast off and rejected. You're full of wrath against your anointed. You have renounced the covenant with your servant. You've defiled his crown in the dust. It's saying the city walls are, are, are ruined. There is, there's not even a Davidic king in view. Now, we don't know the precise occasion. We do know this is not a personal struggle that he has. He's speaking on behalf of the people of God in Israel. It may have been during the time some scholars think that they were in Babylonian captivity. The king is the king is is you know is is imprisoned. The, you know the, the city has been ruined. It certainly could apply to that if it wasn't written at that time. God, what on earth? We're supposed to have a Davidic king. God, where are you? Everything is bleak. He's deeply troubled. And then he goes to he's he's complaining. I mean, he's saying this is incongruent. I mean, as best I can tell, you, you've forgotten the promise to your people. And then the last heading here, these questions that pick up in, in verse 46. What does he ask? He says, how long? Uh, who's going to deliver us? Where? Where? Where are you? Where is where is your presence? Where is your steadfast love? God, not only does it seem like you're absent, it's even worse than that. God, we don't know where you are. God, we feel like you're angry with us. That's that's a real experience. I, I remember visiting a dear friend. She was in she was in the hospital, my age, in the hospital, and uh, and and she was undergoing a, a treatment for terminal cancer. And she says, you know, describing the journey of pain that she's been through. She's like, I know that God loves me, but I feel like right now he's he's angry with me or something. He's saying, remember, of course, inspired of God, your love is real. I, I know that. But right now it seems so dim. It's it's so it's so muted. I'm I'm confused. Have you been there? And I'm not saying I mean it may be tied to circumstances. Oftentimes it is. I mean I don't think it's devoid of circumstances here, but I remember in 2008. Uh, well, prior to that, let's go back to. Uh, the 90s and the early 2000s, I used to uh, listen uh, on a regular basis quite a bit to an artist named Stephen Curtis Chapman. 
And uh, he's like, you know, multi-time over Grammy award-winning artist and uh, lives in Nashville. And uh, he's living in Nashville in 2008 with his, uh, I believe, six children, he and his wife. And they're living in Nashville and they have their kids, their youngest ones. They have biological children. Their youngest ones uh, are adopted from China. And uh, partly because they had developed uh, a real sense of connection and calling to care for uh, orphaned children in in China and helping to, to you know supply funds and they adopted some uh, some daughters and they have this 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 family. Their son Will uh, is pulling out of the driveway and their five-year-old girl uh, Maria uh, runs out and she's run over and it is just it's just mayhem. You know, it's just it's just it's just chaos. They they tried to uh, perform CPR. Uh, they 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 rush her off. She's airlifted to Vanderbilt Hospital, and Stephen Curtis Chapman backs out of the driveway with his wife. You know, in 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 just you know horror and terror, and looks over at his son, his 18-year-old son, who is driving the car. In agony, crouched over in the middle of the yard, and he looks at him and he says, Will Chapman, your father loves you. The daughter, unfortunately, Maria, dies. Stephen Curtis Chapman and his wife, Mary Beth, uh, reflect on that season, and it was a dark, dark time following that as you would imagine, and they talk about it. She in particular wrote a book, Mary Beth wrote a book called Choosing to See a Journey of Struggle and Hope, and they both testify how Christ and Christ church ministered to them so mightily during that season. She would go on to, to say, I saw in an interview, she said, I've been mad, I've been sad, I've jumped up and down, I've crawled under my bed, I've gone in my closet, you named it, I've done it. And I know that I will never understand this side of eternity. Why Maria and why Will? I have a list of questions in my journal, you know, why? And of course, for her, the mystery lingers. And so often, there are indeed questions that, in God's design, go unanswered in this life. She writes in the book, I know God loves me and my family. I know God is sovereign and he knows what's best for us. I know that he has our days numbered and makes no mistakes. I know that he will bring beauty from ashes. That is what I'm clinging to in order to make it through another 24 hours in those early days, she would say. You see, for them, the presence, and I, and I think it's true here of the psalmist, the presence and the people of Israel, the presence of, of troubles and of anguish maybe has brought an eclipse to being able to see the brightness of the light of the love of God. But praise be to God, they stayed in orbit long enough for it to come around for them to again see the light of God's love. His care, his, verse 1 and 2, steadfast love. Well, for the psalmist, if we go back to the text, the the complaints and the objections cease And then he pivots back to doxology. 
That is the, the, the praise of God in verse 52. What does he say? Blessed be the Lord forever and ever. Amen, amen. Do you think that's disingenuous? I don't think there's any reason to believe it. He's not held back. <laughs> He's not held back his honesty uh, and transparency until now. But he is choosing to praise God. It is always fitting at all times under any circumstances to praise God. And he's doing that right now. It, it, how is this possible? Well, we, we, we're reminded. Even that phrase reminded me this week of Job chapter 1 and verse 18 and 20. There's various messengers. Job is a righteous man who, who knows the love of God, who loves God, follows his ways. And, uh, and then these messengers come and they say, oh, by the way, all of your livestock, your livelihood, you know, is, is, is gone. And then another messenger comes along and then this is what it says. It says, oh, by the way, uh, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young people and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. I'm sure there's some people right now in the wake of a tornado that tornadoes that have made their way through that would say that that's the news that they just received. How did Job respond to that? I mean, that's devastating. Your livelihood, your possessions. Oh, by the way, your children are all gone. Job. Verse 20. Job arose, tore his clothes, shaved his head and fell on the ground and he worshiped. God. Now his wife found that impossible. She said, you ought to curse God, curse God and die. And he worshiped God. This is what he says. Verse 21. Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. For Job, for the psalmist here, Ethan, giving voice to the people of God who would have rehearsed and sung this together. Can they say it? I mean, even amidst the consternation and the confusion, can they go on and say, nevertheless, that conviction reemerges, bless the Lord. He's, it, it, before he before he makes his way to that place, though, I just want to highlight this, you know, numerous times having to walk as a minister, as a pastor with people who are in some very dark valleys and uh, and have experienced tremendous uh, pain and affliction. And, 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 and I'm I'm with them, you know, I I mean, I, I I've wept not for but with people. And there have been times when it seems so bleak. That if someone pressed me, I would say, you know, I know that God is good and that his steadfast love endures forever. But, man, if I had to make a case for it right now, it's really hard. But there's a king. There's a king still here in view. I do believe it's true. That's what the psalmist is saying. Yes, your anointed one right now is mocked. That's the phrase or the idea in verse 41 and verse 51. The people go by, they say, where's your king of Israel? (laughs) Where's your governance? Where is your strength? Where's your anointed one? 
Does that sound familiar? Publicly mocked? Shamed? Does it sound familiar that the psalmist here in verse 45 says that it was his days of youth that were cut short, that he was covered with shame? Well, indeed it does. Because it all echoes into and forward to the greater son of King David, our greatest king, Jesus. Who at just the age of 33 was was captured, silenced, beaten by his enemies, but not silenced, really. In the end, the resounding voice is the the revelation of John in chapter 1 of, of Revelation. It speaks so clearly here. Grace and peace to you from him who was and is and who is to come. And from Jesus Christ, three things. Okay, hear this. The faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. All three of those phrases, all three of those phrases that just read in the Revelation of John are right here in Psalm 89. And they correspond perfectly to Jesus as prophet Right? That he is the the faithful witness. That he is priest, the firstborn of the dead. That he is king, the ruler of the kings, the king of kings, prophet, priest, and king. Takeaways. Where where, where do we go? How do we we maybe navigate and apply this? This is going to sound a lot like what I had to say as a takeaway from Psalm 13. uh, and And naturally so. The first thing I would say, because I said it last time, which I think is helpful, is because he's he's offering he's offering confusion, perplexity, and and, uh, and questions. The first thing I would say is it's okay. In fact, it's quite fitting and appropriate that you would open your hands and you would say, God, why? How long? God, why and how long? Why does it seem like you have forgotten your promises? Why does it seem that you have abandoned your people? But don't miss the fact that he's still looking in the right direction. And so that leads to the second thing, which is, well, that'll be here in a second. The third thing, the second thing I would say is don't trust your feelings. Feelings, so sometimes just because you feel that something is true, doesn't make it true or real. Many of you can describe emotions that needed to be expressed that were genuine to how you you were experiencing in your affections, but they were not a a mirror or a description of truth and reality. We still process those feelings, but it doesn't mean that they are to be trusted. The the third thing I would say, that's the second thing, is don't raise, open your hands, but I said this a few weeks ago, but don't raise your fist. God is in control. He is the creator. And we can be living in mystery, and we can, he has invited us to ask questions, even as we echo the voice of this psalm. But he is the judge in the end. The last thing I would say is cry out to him. The fulfillment of this promise here is that there is a resurrected good shepherd who's filled with promises. He loves to hear from his, his sheep. God the Father loves to hear from his children. Cry out to him. Jesus, I'll I'll just close with this one verse and then we'll pray. Consider him, the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 12. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. Which is another way of saying don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. But that happens when you consider him. 
Let's consider him now. Father, we do look to your son, Jesus, with great, uh, with great confidence because he is not dead. He is alive. He is identified as a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and he has conquered death, hell, and the grave. We have re- great reason for rejoicing. We know that you have a way of, of operating towards your children that is, is a loving kindness that is a mystery to us, and I pray that you would help us. Guide us into repentance. Guide us into renewal. I pray you would refresh souls here this, this very day, this very moment. Lord, I pray you'd especially be with those who struggle with grief at this time of the year. Lord, there are people here today that may have, who in the past have or will have complaints and questions just like the psalmist here. I pray you would bring clarity, that you would bring faith to those who have doubts and find it difficult right now to cling to your promises by faith. Draw them, comfort them. Lord, I pray you'd be with those who are struggling with illness, some of which are very much long-standing. We pray again for this treatment for our dear sister Emily and her radiation, that you would be merciful, that you would sustain her during this time, that you would be with physicians and providers, guide them with skill and compassion. Lord, we think this week as we, we learn of these tornadoes that have torn through six different states and left many dead in their lives, the aftermath of which we can't really grasp, I pray that you would show mercy, that you would work through Christ's church to mobilize people to show the love and mercy of our God. Would you comfort people? Would you use it to redeem it, Lord, to draw people to yourself? Awaken people, Lord. Use your church. Lord, I pray even locally that you would use your church to be a salt and a light for your praise and for your kingdom. I pray especially, Lord, for other churches this morning. I pray for Calvary Chapel. I pray for uh, the Assembly of God Church in Pembroke, for their leadership, for their ministry, that you would keep them, that you would prosper, uh, that they could lead many others to, to Christ, that you would raise up, Lord, uh, through the power of your spirit, reviving souls in our area uh, to raise up more church plants and more worshipers and more people gathered uh, to exalt your son, our Lord. For even now, we ask all of these things uh, in his name. And then as he taught his disciples to pray, saying together, our father who art in heaven.